Hello and welcome to this episode of the SurgeryBots podcast. In today's episode, we have Dr. Sudhir Suavistava, founder and CEO of SS Innovations. SS Innovations are the soft tissue robotics company which is made in India for the world. In this episode, you'll hear a founding story which is an absolute inspiration. You'll find out about building a company in India and the humanitarian mission that SS are on. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Sudhir, and welcome to the SurgeryBots podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good, good. So the first question that I want to explore with you um, is you've got an incredibly good founding story as to why you started up the business. But before we get into that, I'd love to find out, tell me about your career up until this point and how you got into the healthcare healthcare world. So, uh, uh, very interesting, uh, great question in the sense of, uh, you know, how I became a doctor. And I'll just take uh, uh, 30 seconds to, so in India, uh, when you are joining the high school or ninth grade, uh, you have to choose the subjects. So during those days, all the space missions were going on, and I was very interested in what was going on, and I used to draw a lot about various spacecrafts. So I filled the form, and to go into engineering, you need uh, mathematics, uh, I'm sorry, mathematics, uh, chemistry, and physics. So I filled that out. That evening, my dad's friend came, and he said, oh, there are too many doctor, engineers in, the, in India, unemployed. So just make him a doctor. So just like that, you know, mathematics got crossed, and biology was put, and the, here I am, <laughs> a doctor. <laughs> so anyway, but I think afterwards, once I uh, finished the medical school, always was very interested in getting very well trained, and so headed out to United States uh, right after my graduation uh, in India. And uh, uh, always was passionate about trying to find a way to, you know, one is advance the science and help the people. So this was a perfect opportunity in relation to, as a physician, to be able to offer things back to the people. Okay. And what area of surgery did you specialize in? So initially, I finished my general surgery training. That was a requirement for heart surgery. And after finishing the training, uh, so I started out in St. Louis and uh, did a couple of years there and then went on to Vancouver uh, in British Columbia, Canada, and under the University of uh, uh, British Columbia umbrella, uh, did my all general surgery and cardiothoracic surgery and then got certified by both the American boards of surgery and cardiothoracic surgery. And when was your first experience of coming across surgical robotics? Yeah, so in 2000, uh, the surgical robot uh, was approved uh, in the United States. And uh, in fact, I used to get approached quite a bit by, uh, by the company. And at that time, there were no approvals and the FDA had just approved. And so also it was an expensive machine. And so in 2002, I was going to build a hospital in West Texas in a city called Odessa. Uh, it's about 100,000 population, small city. And we had decided because what I was doing in a lot of minimally invasive approaches that I was getting a lot of patients from literally around the country and I wanted to create a center of excellence. So with that, I wanted to be part of the trial. So at that time, uh, there was going to be a trial on the bypass surgery. And uh, so we actually 
purchased the robot as we were building our hospital. Our hospital was called Alliance Hospital at the time. So in uh, 2002, we purchased the first generation of the Da Vinci system. It was a three-arm system. And then we went through very strict mandated protocol that was demanded by FDA for us before we did the first clinical totally endoscopic bypass surgery. And that time it was supposed to be on a stopped heart. That means on heart-lung machine and it stopped heart. So I was part of the trial. And, uh, you know, so we got the approval finally in uh, uh, 2004. And so I did a trial. So we actually purchased the system and then really pushed the envelope in the sense of uh, very rapidly advancing. Uh, so I kept developing these uh, new procedures at that time uh, and uh, did a lot of world's first cases. So with the first generation system, while I was in uh, uh, Odessa, Texas, and I was the founding chairman and ran the hospital as a chairman, so we did 750 robotic cardiac cases. It became known as the robotic cardiac center in the world and uh, trained a lot of people and uh, did uh, uh, 250 totally endoscopy bypass surgery with the first generation system. So this is how the exposure actually came. And then I saw absolutely phenomenal results uh, in our bypass surgery patients. And 20% patients went home next day after bypass surgery, which is absolutely unheard in heart surgery. 50% two days or less, and average length of stay was 3.2 days. And those days I had zero mortality in relation to these completed robotic cases. And uh, then uh, since the trial was on the stopped heart, I realized very quickly that we will not be really doing. So with FDA permission, uh, I did 20 cases. This was the first time in the United States on a beating heart. So I launched the beating heart, totally endoscopic bypass surgery. And again, uh, tremendous results actually. And then later the company used uh, to get the warning off in relation to the beating heart. So we literally developed uh, you know, these cases and during that time trained a lot of teams literally from around the world, 350 surgical teams, and traveled all over the world to launch programs. So this is how the career started uh, in Odessa, Texas, in the robotic front. Amazing. So at what point, do you remember the point when you saw robotic surgery and thought this is 100% the future of how surgery will be done? Do you remember the time when you thought that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, so from uh, Odessa, Texas, I got invited to uh, University of Chicago. So I think having seen the benefits and having seen the interest, having seen uh, how important it will be for us to be able to do heart surgery without having to split the sternum. So that's really when I saw, I think it is such a wonderful thing for the patients. So it was very easy for the surgeons to split the sternum, uh, but not good for the patient. So really the driving force for me, and when I saw patients recovering so fast, I realized that it must continue. And it's just like, you know, there's a saying in uh, the medical world that if you have done the same thing for 30 years, you probably are wrong. And so it must change. And the only way to continue the evolution on the minimally invasive front the robotic technology gave us, with the technology attributes, ability to be able to do very complex heart operations, which normally otherwise not be possible through laparoscopy type of approaches. So robot allowed us to do, and then I, when I saw this thing, and by the time I left United States, I had done over 1,400 
uh, robotic cardiac cases and 800 totally endoscopy bypass surgeries. And those were the largest numbers at the time when I was in practice globally. And so I saw that, yes, it is possible to do. Then the question came down, how do we make it and how do we democratize it? And unfortunately, you know, based on, I guess, the industry, etc., they really did not do much in relation to cardiac surgery particularly. But then uh, the uh, robotic surgery was actually gaining a lot of traction in non-cardiac specialties because they were dealing with a different area of the body and larger structures compared to bypass surgery. We are dealing with very tiny arteries, etc. So what I saw was that, uh, you know, one was the precision that uh, robotic allowed us. Secondly, the technology attributes. And third, I thought literally that at a point in time, uh, it will become universally adopted. And not only that, but also uh, it will actually extend the surgical careers of uh, surgeons. Uh, you know, because the, when the body doesn't cooperate and all that, so the tremors are filtered, you get to sit down and operate and you have a nice big magnified view. So I thought, you know, it will really help also when you know the most, you don't have to retire. You know, so, so I think, you know, uh, uh, I realized at that point, yes, I think it is going to go there. And this was, I would say, probably in 2007 type of time frame that I really wanted to take it beyond me at that point. And that's why I uh, joined the University of Chicago, joined the faculty and as a director and uh, kept pushing, uh, you know, kept going with, you know, newer procedures and more and more cases, teaching and training, etc. Phenomenal. So... The reason why we're having this conversation is obviously because you founded your own surgical robotics company, um, SS Innovations, the robot made in India for the world. So I'd love to, you to relate to the audience the story as to why you decided that that was a mission that you needed to go on and why you decided that let's leave the medical side behind yeah. to go on this bigger, bigger journey. Certainly. So I always had a passion and I think, uh, you know, uh, we owe a lot to you know, the motherland wherever one is born because every single thing that what I am or I became was through a lot of early education, guidance, a lot of resources that the government invests, etc. So I used to come to India to do a lot of voluntary work. And when we started doing, uh, you know, development of these minimally invasive procedures, I was teaching people here coming and operating. So I used to come and go to, a, uh, go to a place where no money was charged to do heart surgery every year for seven years. I used to bring my team from US and supplies, etc. So it really felt good to be able to give back. And also the other thing was regarding coming to India was that uh, uh, although the technology is wonderful, but it had a very uneven global penetration. And when I made the decision to move back to India in 2011, I purchased the robot myself for 1.2 or $3 million or so. And at that time, there were only seven or eight total systems in the country. There was no pressure and mostly were not operational. Uh, we tried to train people and the biggest thing was cost. And so patients just could not afford this. And I did launch the programs. I was operating here in India personally. But I'll share this incident, which was really like a turning point in my life from being a surgeon and then literally just fully dive into development of technology. Uh, so in 2012, 
I had a patient with atrial septal defect. Uh, it's a congenital problem that there's a hole that is left open between the two chambers of the heart and in adult population, it can cause problems and it shortens their life. So the brother brought uh, saying that if she has a scar in front of the chest, culturally speaking in India, the possibility that she may not get married. And she was a perfect candidate for robotic surgery whereby on the right side of her chest, we will do through uh, four or five fingertip size incision, nobody will ever see, and we could repair it completely. I had done that many times, except they didn't have money. I offered to operate free, hospital wanted to charge, and a uh, month later he called, he was still struggling, and then I never heard from him. And I must say, it honestly pained me that because of money, we could not offer the best possible care to the patients. And I always believe that the healthcare is a right and not a privilege for rich economies, rich people, etc. So that time I made this commitment that we must do something. I used to talk to the other company, how about coming up with an affordable system so that will benefit many, many more patients around the world because it was a wonderful development that occurred. Uh, but unfortunately, their focus was really developed economies, etc. So I got onto this platform and uh, hired a team of people, used up my four and a half million dollars or so of life saving from US, uh, exhausted that initially I went to Germany to try to work with some of the ex space agency scientists and things just didn't work out. And uh, essentially we lost millions and billions of dollars in that exercise, but I didn't want to give up. So around 2013, late part or 14, I put a team together of 10 engineers who worked out of my home. So by this time, I had a lot of clinical experience in relation to the robotic surgery. And as an end user, I knew, and although the previous company, uh, it was great, I think, offered the technology, but there were many opportunities to make it better and improve upon things. But somehow they kind of got stuck, they had monopoly, so uh, you know, changes were not made. And one of the concerns that they had was, Anytime they make a major change, they have to go back to FDA and trials, etc. And so to me, that was not a good enough reason. And so really what I wanted to do, utilizing my personal knowledge, using also what was available at that time. So, you know, newness of our company, newness of where the era that we wanted to launch, it gave us opportunities to, first of all, not only utilize the knowledge base, but also to incorporate technologies that others did not. To make it even better, more user-friendly, more advanced, and ultimately my goal was to really make it affordable. And it was a struggle. <laughs> you know, it's, you know the journey of uh, innovation and entrepreneurship, it is tough. Uh, my family went back to United States and uh, I wasn't practicing anymore, uh, but I was absolutely determined uh, that you know, we must do this thing because it is needed. And a lot of personal suffering and sacrifices, I just stuck on to it. Borrowed money from my friends in the United States, almost 700,000, that ran out. These are very expensive projects. And uh, then uh, tried to raise money in India, really didn't succeed. Sold my car, sold my furniture to support the engineers, and that ran out. So finally in 2017, uh, through the grace of God or the bigger power, uh, we did get initial $5 million funding and then worked very rapidly. And then unfortunately we got stuck uh, with pandemic. 
So we lost almost over two years and the money flow stopped again. And so again, I <laughs> emptied my accounts and borrowed, sold equity. Uh, one day my wife asked, how much money do we have left? I, I said, maybe $100. She wasn't a happy camper. But anyway, so I really, you know, so it was a tough journey. But now I must say very proud that we worked with a team of young engineers in India uh, who literally grew up with us. And with whatever knowledge I had from the clinical side, I knew what we needed. And I didn't have to wait for other surgeons to come and evaluate. And then we start the cycle again. That's why many companies take much, much longer time. So we literally finished the development in two and a half to three years, and then did an initial trial. Very quickly, I realized that this will not be uh, good for average surgical teams. And so we changed the generation, and you won't believe, within five months, we created an entirely new generation at every level different. And, and so, and it is very advanced actually, you know, we have had comments from people, uh, including uh, Dr. Fred Mall, who had come, who was the founder of Intuitive. He came last year in November here and uh, saw this live case there in the hospital, uh, tested the system, etc. And in a public forum, he made a comment that SSI has got more advanced and better technology than the existing ones. And, uh, you know, and the system now has been performing really well. So what we have created really, it is very advanced in terms of the technology with better features, more features, and all specialties, including cardiac also today. Because cardiac has been pretty much given up by others and no one is touching it because of the complexity. And with my own personal experience, I really wanted to revive the field because in cardiac surgery, patients don't have endoscopic options like other specialties. And splitting of the sternum and wrong recovery, complications, etc. So now we have developed a system that is absolutely capable of cardiac surgery as well at this time. Cool. So can you talk to me a little bit more about what is more advanced and what are some of those technological features that are beyond others in the field at the moment? Surely. So if you were to compare, especially, you know, we'll, we'll compare with the, the industry leader. And uh, so, you know, starting out with the surgeon console. So with the previous uh, model that you're sitting hunched over and uh, you don't see your hand controls, you don't see where your feet are. And then you also have a small, roughly eight-inch uh, uh, type of uh, screen, and uh, and then you have little tile pros or windows where you can pull in whatever other images are, which, in my opinion, really don't have meaningful, uh, you know, analysis in a very small window. If you put a CT, you cannot really tell. And so that was one thing that you are sitting. Your posture was not very ergonomic. And then during a lot of training that I did for people, that hands are colliding with each other or hitting the roof of the system or pressing the wrong foot pedal. So what we have designed is an open-faced console with a large 32-inch 4K monitor with a head-tracking camera on the top for safety. So if you are not watching the stream, uh, your you know, system won't respond even if you move your hands. So it's a safety and it's a beautiful 4K resolution, which is the highest today in relation to the endoscopic world. 
Secondly, we have given a large 23 2D touch panel monitor. So we can bring any of these DICOM images in a meaningful way, either CT, MRI, angiogram, echo, etc. And our team has done absolutely phenomenal. We have a Maya division <coughs> whereby they uh, literally take any of these images and convert them into 3D model. And you can rotate, slice, dice through it. And so the entire anatomy of that specific target anatomy is right in front of you. So what it will do, it will make the procedure safer and faster uh, because no accidents will occur because you know every single thing, you know, even if it is hidden, uh, where it is. So this thing will be very, very helpful. And uh, then uh, we have very typical of the foot paddles and controls are very ergonomic, very differently designed than the current ones. So literally it rests in your palm. And so there is no muscle tension compared to whenever you are gripping something either through the rings or a pistol grip like some others. So immediately the hand muscles right up to the neck also become tightened. So this one will allow you very free motion. So anytime you don't have tension on your muscles, you can do very precise motions. Then only, ours is the only system that is prepared right from the beginning to be able to control five arms from the surgeon console. No one else has that. Going on to the vision card, so our vision card has also same 4K uh, high definition monitor. So it's a 3D also, so with the passive glasses, everyone in the surgical team has the same view exactly as the surgeon. Uh, others have only 2D vision. And I have seen accidents, I was see, operating in South Korea back in 2008, a nurse put knife right through the heart. I asked her what happened, she said, I couldn't tell how deep I was going. So accidents do occur with the 2D vision and that's why God given 3D vision, otherwise we'll be bumping into each other all the time. And so it is very important to have that perception. And not only you have exactly the same view, but it is safer. So accidents won't occur. If uh, the nurses are bringing supplies, they know exactly where to go. And uh, so one is that it avoids accidents, uh, it's safer. Secondly, it shortens the learning curve. So if you have hesitation in 2D, people are taking things very slowly, being very careful. So it adds to the time. So firstly, you know, uh, if you shorten the learning curve and ultimately this improves the quality outcomes. Also, you know, if you have trainees, so they are watching the same screen as the surgeon. So it is great for teaching and training and our system has built-in recording and playback capabilities. So you can record all your videos and watch them or broadcast them. And also it's prepared right from the beginning for teleproctoring. So this is one of the thing when I was in practice and even now, uh, not always easy to find people who will mentor others, you know, because it is, you have to fly here and there. So what we are doing, utilizing the technology and our, this Maya division has absolutely developed so far advanced beyond anyone else here now. It is like watching the old uh, minority movie uh, with Tom Cruise, whereby every, you know, there are about five different streams and you can annotate and all that thing and you can literally so prepare for teleproctoring. So it is really like a holistic approach in the sense. And very rapidly we are moving towards telesurgery and hopefully in next three to six months or so we will be uh, at least you know performing this on animals. So when we were looking at this whole training cycle, 
So the idea was to not only go through the routine curriculum, etc., but give them tools to advance them much faster, shorten their learning curve. Ultimately, that will avoid accidents and improve the outcome. So the whole vision card is designed keeping that in mind. And also on the vision card the screen, we have built-in pre-op guidance. So there is a menu of, let's say, gallbladder surgery or removal of kidney or prostate or uh, lungs, etc. So you punch that in and the whole thing pops up right there. You know, where to place the ports in relation to our system, where is the target anatomy, where to place these cars, again, based on our system. So it basically takes the guesswork out and it becomes more efficient. And also, you know, we are looking at the future whereby these cars will be motorized and literally creating a 3D reconstructed operating room. Uh, we can push the button based on the target anatomy and the surgery. And these cars will move literally on their own and park themselves. So a lot of futuristic idea in relation to this. And going on to our uh, the robotic arms and the cars, uh, it is what we call a modular design. Every robotic arm uh, with its attachments is mounted on a separate cart. And so first of all, it allows you to place them wherever required. So you are not boxed in like, you know, all arms attached to one central beam. So it gives you flexibility based on the target anatomy, body habitus, room setup, etc. Uh, you can place them wherever required. And since it is modular, you can use three, four, or five arms. Again, ours is the only system, as I mentioned earlier from the console, you can control five arms. So we have developed certain very specific cardiac enabling technology that we will actually use the fifth arm as well. And as we move forward with some of these automated devices, uh, fifth arm will become necessary. Also, uh, there are procedures that you don't always need four arms, you know, like transoral procedures or head and neck procedures or esophagus or simple pelvic or gallbladder. Uh, so you just need uh, three arms for a lot of these procedures. So it also fits the budget, reduces the expense. Uh, so uh, you don't have to use a whole lot of instrument for a lot of procedure. So the whole idea was to make it very easy, user-friendly, and address the cost. And now when we talk, so these are some of the technology attributes and this whole our Maya division. And we have developed already several cardiac enabling technologies that no one else has. And an asthmatic connector as an instrument, which literally in six seconds will join two arteries uh, with a push-up button. And so this will be wonderful because this is a lifeline for the patient the bypass surgery, and it gives you a predictable outcome, very efficient, levels the playing field in terms of the human skill level, and there are several other things that we have done. Uh, with instruments, we have developed over 30 different types of instruments, and also we have developed cardiac instruments, because, you know, this other company stopped making the stabilizer, let's say, for the heart, and no other company is touching cardiac. And there's a huge population that undergoes cardiac surgery. There are almost like total of roughly 5 million cases occur annually. That majority, almost 95 plus percent, have either sternum split open. So if we can give them an option to do it differently, it's wonderful. So we have kept all of these facts in mind uh, to really help the surgeons and really change the direction across the spectrum. Amazing. Um, and I love that it's 
everything that's being done is all about the patient and making the patient's life easier. That's it's it's really incredible. So, are you able to share a rough cost of the system? Um, yes. Is that possible? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I will give you some kind of broad uh, things, you know, because it probably would not be good to, you know, get into specific amounts, etc. So it will be roughly one third the cost of the top model by the industry leader. And uh, and uh, with the thing is, I'll give you a quote of some surgeons uh, who tested the system. They made a comment, Sudhir, you didn't poly uh, compromise the quality. You've added more advanced and better features, more user-friendly features, with similar performance at one-third the cost. And so everything for us, including our consumables, are somewhere between 30 to 40 percent of the cost of the industry leader. And same thing for the maintenance agreement. So my whole goal was really to create an affordable system. Uh, you know, and as uh, uh, Dr. Vishwa, my son, uh, who is our president and CEO, also he uses this phrase that to uh, uh, help serve the forgotten world uh, by other companies. And the need is so huge around the world, almost 7 billion people do not have easy access, mainly because of the cost and the learning curves. So we literally have addressed both. So my, my follow-on question to the cost is, how have you managed to do it uh, to be able to actually sell it at one third the cost because it's not just the big guy who are selling at a very high cost it's all the other guys as well that are coming to market they're they're selling at the higher plus one and a half million dollar ticket so how have you managed to develop a robot which is so cost effective so i think uh, there are two things one is uh, the stage of our development and existence now so a lot of the components today are available off shelf that people had to custom develop it. Again, that leads to higher costs. Secondly, being in India, uh, you know, we can, with a much lower uh, the human cost here compared to many other uh, developed economies. And secondly, that also translates into lower manufacturing costs. So the best part is that without compromising the quality, and I can tell you about our India team today, uh, they're all homegrown, but today they know more than IIT professors uh, because uh, so we were able to literally contain a lot of these costs and being in India, I think if there's one single factor is our geographical location of the project. Amazing. So, and obviously you mentioned a little minute ago that your, your son, Vishwa, who, who we know each other from, um, is involved with the business, Chief Operations Officer. Um, at what point did you decide to bring him into the fold? And also, what's his impact been? Because it's really interesting to have a father-son duo um, in the leadership of a surgical robotics company. So, um, uh, after he finished his medicine and we've been talking, and Vishwa, in fact, uh, since going back to my US days in 2008 and nine. Uh, he had this talent of editing movies, and he had gone to India, produced some documentary, etc. They used to be in the operating room or completely exposed to a lot of our videos. They were completely involved with the robotic world from that time onwards. Then in Atlanta, we also created, when I moved to Atlanta from Chicago, we created this International College of Robotic Surgery, 
and we created teaching websites literally to be able to train people all over the world. And he was intricately involved in literally creating these websites for robotic revascularization. And he did an absolutely great job. So when I also moved to India in 2011 with bags and baggages and family, and he in fact came ahead of us, and he was involved literally setting up things and so on. And uh, so he was very intricately involved, right? In fact, the 3D development for, you know, table-side team, he was very involved actually. In fact, we created this platform when I moved to India in 2011. And I give literally credit to him for taking a leadership role in developing this 3D where everybody gets to see 3D. And then, of course, subsequently we hired engineers, etc. But it was literally, you know, his, his effort. So he was very involved. And then he decided to go back to U.S. and then finish medicine. And so when he was finishing medicine, the choice was uh, because, I mean, he was so good with uh, the knowledge and understood. And then, of course, his great communication skills uh, and, you know, having been uh, brought up there, he felt at ease to be able to deal with whatever. And so basically the decision was, and of course, although Vishwa may try to say that I forced him, not true. <laughs> he made a voluntary decision. In fact, he has just gotten married during those pandemic days uh, in a park in Chicago. And so him and the wife, uh, they joined us in November of 21. And, uh, you know, I tell you, he's been a great addition. And, uh, you know, he's just absolutely supportive. Uh, he's become a master in teaching and training. He has a lot more patience than me and people love him. So he's been a great contributor in relation to uh, what we are doing and also with his knowledge base. Uh, you know, so the choice was, again, he could go back and, you know, do the residency. It's just like when I made the decision to transition from being a surgeon to develop this thing. So it was like I could continue to operate personally and maybe help 300, 400 people in a year. But by developing this thing, we will help many, many more people, literally. And so I think this was also a shared vision for him, that he could literally be part of this journey. He was already familiar, and it's a wonderful thing to do for the world. Uh, and I'm very grateful and very happy that he's with us. And our team, team loves him. Yes. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Very fun to, uh, to deal with. So what's next for SS Innovations? Where is this company going from here and what can we expect to see? So firstly, we have, we have all the approvals in India. Uh, we have approval in UAE and also Guatemala. We have initiated the process for US FDA and European CE mark. There are also 120 other countries that do not require FDA or CE. So as we speak, almost 15 to 20 countries, the registration process is ongoing. We have been approached by people from all over the world. People have become aware uh, and in fact, on January 19 and 20, we are organizing the first global uh, multi-specialty robotic surgery conference with national and international faculty. And there will be live cases, uh, both cardiac and multi-specialty. Uh, so we are really trying to come up on the surface. You know, all these years we were kind of under the radar. And, uh, and so that is, so one thing is going on is to literally bring it to so many parts of the world that still do not have this system. Secondly, also uh, continue to advance 
uh, in relation to the technology because even though we have the first generation, we are at a very high level of technology entry point at lowest cost. So we want to continue to keep improving, keep adding specialty specific instrumentation to help the surgeons. Uh, we are also in the process of trying to raise large amount of money. We currently in fact have joined and become a, a public or SEC registered company. So we have uh, retained uh, investment banker and our efforts are ongoing to try to uplift on NASDAQ and raise larger amounts of money to upscale manufacturing. So currently we have within India here in Gurgaon uh, almost 55,000 square foot of facility with capability of assembling up to 20 systems per month. And so we want to scale it up further. We want to add more and more people. We want to develop uh, some more uh, types of robots. So one of my goal post-funding is to develop a pediatric robot because this is another large population. Although our robot has been used for some of the pediatric population, but we want to give them also, so they don't need to also have larger incisions and you know, trauma, etc. So that is the other goal. Secondly, also we have, from the previous generation of our mantra one, uh, we are creating these various single arm applications. So one of my idea is, uh, is really what I call democratize or decentralize excellence, whereby utilizing the high-speed connectivity, we literally bring the care to people wherever there may be. And this is actually a global problem, doesn't matter which country, whereby people still have to travel for advanced care to larger centers. So one is that uh, one of the biggest challenges in many of the developing economies uh, or around the world is late diagnosis. Uh, and that leads to better, you know, unfortunately uh, worse outcomes. So with the use of our single arm, uh, let's say we put an ultrasound probe on it to do various kinds of screening, then biopsies, uh, targeted therapies. A lot of these things literally can be done uh, placing these things in a van and remotely control using 5G or high-speed connectivity. Other thing also we are looking at uh, is you know, expanding a truck and put the system on the truck and literally hold camps to offer these services locally or remotely. So the idea is really to you know, find a way to help people in whatever way possible. Other thing also, our whole training program is very holistic as I touched upon. You know, other than the routine training that everybody does, this whole teleproctoring and further telesurgery will really help launch programs in a very safe and expeditious way, uh, whereby, you know, it's like uh, teleproctoring, like having an attending uh, surgeon in front of you who is guiding you. And when you cannot do, then telesurgery takes over and you finish the thing. And also telesurgery will help uh, in terms of some of the complex cases that some expert surgeons have done. So this way we can offer the same thing without again patients having to travel. So really the vision is very far reaching in relation to this. On the other side also, at least in India, we have initiated a process to a bunch of organizations and doctors to potentially make the robotic surgery training mandatory as part of the postgraduate curriculum. So currently, you know, people, as you know, literally all over the world, uh, you know, they, they train in the middle of their practices. And sometimes that is challenging because it, is, you know, it interrupts their flow of work, etc. 
And so like postgraduate programs today have laparoscopic surgery as part of standard training. So these people come out trained. Same way, I think we must undertake this thing whereby we actually produce a volume of robotic surgeons, also the support staff that is needed in ro robotic surgery. So basically it just will take time, three, four or five years, but then suddenly you create a pool of talent and also with an affordable system, this truly will change the direction of surgery. And this is one of the, the, the vision that we have, uh, literally, you know, advancing and make this whole thing available globally. Yes. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of challenges along the way there. So what do you think are going to be some of the challenges that are going to hold you back and some of the big obstacles that are going to have to be overcome there? I think the biggest challenge always is, and with all humility I say, is money. Because all of these technology projects are expensive, they are time consuming, there is a technology risk, is it going to work or not, then regulatory risk. And so I think, but based on what we have shown here in India, that nobody ever thought India will produce a surgical robot because uh, there were no patents filed by others in India in relation to the surgical robotics, actually, at least in the past. Now, so the thing is that uh, we, uh, yeah, money is always a challenge, but we hope that, you know, as we are advancing, uh, people are always looking for options, as we all recognize monopolies are not good. So, you know, and we have now proven, having done 550, you know, cases across the spectrum of a specialty, including cardiac and having our system in hospitals. Uh, we also have a system at, uh, at Johns Hopkins, actually, in the research lab. Uh, we have dialogue going on with Harvard system. Uh, Cleveland Clinic also has Express system, and so other universities within the United States. So really, we hope that with a lot of with this collaboration, one is that we can continue to advance because, see, anytime you undertake new things, and there's no reason to reinvent the wheel because there's a lot of global talent that exists today. So what I see, uh, you know, uh, also, uh, you know, this use of whole metaverse, it really will solve a lot of these things. So I think the biggest obstacle, as I see, is money. I think talent, of course, you know, existing talent is a challenge because, uh, you know, especially in India, it is a homegrown talent. But now we have a lot of people that are very interested and fundamental knowledges exist. And so it is a matter of application. And then again, collaboration with some of these, you know, global universities also will be very helpful as we continue to advance uh, this thing. I think as far as the adoption, which is another challenge or the competition, uh, I think competition is good. I'm not worried about that. I think ultimately, you know, if you have a good product, uh, you know, and if you take cars as an example, so there are so many high-end cars, but they all sell. So, you know, one should not worry about competition. I think our goal is that we do the best possible and make the safest possible uh, product that functions well. And at a lower cost, it already is an opportunity for people to acquire. So I think market opportunity is there, so I don't think competition uh, as, a, as a strength. And then, of course, the other thing is the regulatory side you know, especially overseas. Uh, it's a time-consuming uh, uh, problem, and it, but ultimately, uh, we are going to comply with whatever may be the requirements, whether it's the United States or Europe or other jurisdictions. 
And we are very confident considering the results that we have seen in India. We have plenty of clinical evidence and we will do the clinical trial. But, so I don't, I think obviously uh, new ideas to incorporate them is always challenging. And along those, there are failures. But actually I must say very honestly, it doesn't bother me. Because see, failure is part of the evolution. Without failing, nobody comes up. You know, mistakes will be made. And so we are very kind of uh, cognizant. And, and so we are, we are not worried about the failure because some people may look at it, you know, and, and we have somehow survived. You know, the biggest challenge is with a startup company. They fail either, um, you know, in fact, I was reading today, the, the, you know, the startups uh, may run out of money but they will close if the founders don't have energy anymore, and which is not applicable here. I have a lot of energy, and I have a lot of wonderful people who are really uh, vision. And I think the biggest thing that is driving me, not only that the patients need, there are surgeons literally all over the world. They're looking for affordable system. We all recognize that I think this is needed to help the patient. Now the question is, how can we get there? And somehow it did not occur in the last 25 years. So hopefully in the next 10 years, we will change that. Yes. Well, that's a great closing comment to leave on, I believe. So thank you very much for your time, Sudhir. It's been a pleasure to host you on the Surgeon Bots podcast. Thank you, Henry. Great.